Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Well, this one is bittersweet, and I'm sure for a lot of people listening right now, wherever you are listening, thank you very much. This is, of course, the Winners Club podcast. Uh, an event or a trip or a family situation or a vacation has been halted by COVID-19. Um, this is the one for me. Uh, this would be my 18th consecutive trip to Saratoga for the Travers Stakes, uh, but it is not to be. The Travers no longer the Midsummer Derby where all the three-year-olds meet up and the Belmont and the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby and one final rundown. Uh, and get themselves ready for the Classic. Uh, that's not going to happen. Instead, uh, Saturday's Traverse Stakes at Saratoga is a prep race, the final prep race, for the 2020 uh, 20 Kentucky Derby, excuse me, scheduled now for the first Saturday in September. If that doesn't sum up 2020, I'm not sure what does. This is the Winner's Club Podcast, sponsored by my friends at DraftKings. That's right, the leaders in one-day fantasy sports. Sports are back, and the perfect time to download the DraftKings app is right now. Use the promo code WEEI when you sign up for your shot at millions of dollars in prizes this week. My friends in New Hampshire this weekend are traveling in New Hampshire. Anytime in New Hampshire. You can bet legally in New Hampshire uh, on sports in the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Of course you can. I've told you that a million times. All the sports this weekend, including the PGA Championship. Uh, I love DraftKings. So do you. If you've not downloaded the DraftKings app, do so and use that promo code WEEI for your shot at millions of dollars this week. Thrilled to have DraftKings on board as the presenting sponsor of the Winners Club podcast. No shy, no Anderson, those guys back as we get to the football season. And also no Travers trip for me. Uh, no fans allowed on Saratoga race course. So it didn't make sense given what's going on. So uh, the city will be back. The city will be raucous there in Saratoga Springs, New York, up at 87. King's Tavern rocking, the horseshoe rocking. The hotels are full, according to the uh, moles I have on the ground there in Saratoga. So people trying to make the best of it. We'll try to sneak up there later this summer. But for Travers Day 2020, the final derby prep of the year. Uh, it'll be Homatoga for me watching these races on my phone, probably my feet in a pink kiddie pool in my backyard. The silver lining of all this, a Travers podcast, usually off this week up there in Saratoga, uh, but instead we are home, so a chance to talk about the Travers with uh, my friend and your friend, Matt Bernier. Uh, we're going to talk to Matt, of course, NBC Sports, RacingPicks.com, the Matt Bernier podcast, the Matt Bernier show uh, on YouTube. We're going to talk Travers and break it down. And the four stakes that make up the late all-stakes pick five. Uh, and that should be uh, 
It shouldn't take too long because these uh, races are not the normal Travers Day races. Uh, the cards came up a little different this year, horse racing. A lot of racing going on, so not quite the regular Travers card we're used to. But I think an opportunity to bet this pick five tomorrow starting in race seven because in the first race, specifically race number seven, I hate the favorite, hate the second choice, and we'll talk about that with our buddy Matt Bernie. Or it's a good Travers card on Saturday. Then on Sunday, you have the mandatory payout in the pick six, which should draw, you know, I don't know, eight, nine, ten million dollars in that pool. We'll see. Uh, it's going to be out of control. Plus, you got three pick fives tomorrow, rolling pick threes all day. And it's Travers Day, one of the great days of the year, even when it's held in early August, not in late August. And on paper, it's a two horse race. Tis the law, the New York favorite, Uncle Chuck. Shipping in for Bob Baffert could be any kind of horse, and it feels like one of those two horses will probably win the Travers and, and be one of the favorites if they do for the Kentucky Derby uh, five weeks from uh, this, well, five weeks from tomorrow, first Saturday in September. Uh, let's not waste time, though. A lot of racing to talk about wherever you watch the race this weekend and you bet on the races. Best of luck to you. Hope you enjoy it. Let's break it down with our buddy Matt Bernier as we talk Travers Weekend 2020. Well, no, these little moments uh, from Saratoga Summers in the last uh, almost two decades that stand out as some of my favorites, and a moment that happened pretty much every summer the last uh, five or ten years was uh, TV's Matt Bernier in his big, expensive TV suit sitting with the common folk in our group in the backyard at the picnic tables, chopping it up, talking racing about an hour before you have to go on TV and come kill some time with us. And that's one of the moments we won't get uh, this summer with uh, COVID-19 affecting racing and fans everywhere. But the silver lining is a podcast in the Travers with Matt Burton. Here, Matt, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I will tell you what. I don't know that I've paid more than like 300 bucks for a suit in my life. So I don't know that I would call them big dollar <laughs> fancy suits. They are... They're off the rack with a little bit of uh, tailoring that makes them a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, look, it's a different situation this year, unfortunately, but it is what it is. Deal with the circumstances as as well as possible. And I guess the good news, you know, if you're looking for sort of a silver lining is I think the Travers this year is not just an important race for the three-year-old division, but I think it could be uh, it could have some Breeders' Cup Classic implications. Well, there's a couple of horses we'll certainly talk about, and uh, it's, of course, Matt, you guys know him, NBC Sports, you know him from the Matt Bernier Show, his podcast, racingpicks.com, which is a free site where he gives out analysis every single week. You should check that out. Um, yeah, it is, it's, it's just a weird feeling. It's, one, it's, it's a weird year and one that uh, is going to be weird for a while, it feels like. Uh, general thoughts on the meet so far up at Saratoga, Matty? Yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, everything is just very odd. I had to do a double take when I saw that the Peter Pan was won by one of the horses running in the Travers, but it was run at Saratoga as opposed to being sort of your standard prep for the Belmont Stakes down uh, down in Long Island. So, I mean, look, it, it's been a little bit of a unique situation. I think one of the bigger takeaways at this point is that the Chad Brown barn may not be firing on all cylinders at this point. Um and I don't know what you want to do with that. I, I don't believe this is going to be a prolonged thing. I think it is worth noting, though, going into you know some of these other big graded stakes races where he's presumably going to have short prices, especially in the turf races. Uh, I think it's a matter of time before that sort of thing irons itself out. Christoph Clement's barn is off to a tremendous start. I don't know if this is going to be something that they can kind of sustain throughout the entirety of the meeting, but um, it's always refreshing when you get some, some names that aren't Brown or Pletcher at the top of the list as far as the trainers are concerned. And, and we'll see if Clement's barn can keep going along. And, and speaking of Pletcher, I mean, it seems like his barn is really cooking. So, um, you know, some interesting storylines, I would say, at the very least, leading through these first few weeks. 
And the only thing I would say the rest of the meat for people, you mentioned Chad Brown, who has never been at 17% at this point in the meet. The guy, is a, he wakes up at Saratoga, a Mechanicsville upstate New York native, and just wakes up at 25%. So it's been a wild meet. And like you said, there's a good chance the regression to his normal numbers mean he's about to go on a run. But what I've noticed, Matt, what stood out to me is, is look, it's not Naira's fault. It's just the state of racing right now. It's not the same quality of Saratoga racing. And in the past, I think it's been very hard, in my opinion, for some of the smaller barns and smaller trainers to win. But I would point to yesterday in the finale, for example, we're taping this on Friday, so Thursday, Brittany Russell, who's a Laurel trainer, I think in a normal Saratoga meet, would have a hard time finding a race to win. And my advice would be in the final four weeks plus, don't be afraid with these smaller outfits to to put your money down there because a lot of the cards, Matt, to be honest, have felt like Belmont North. And in that case, a lot of trainers win at Belmont that aren't your big name, Brown, Pletcher, uh, Christoph Clement, Steve Asmussen. So my, my theory has been don't be afraid of the smaller barns because it's not the same type of quality racing we're normally seeing in upstate New York. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, to, to that point, you can get some of the smaller barns that'll ship in sort of mid-Atlantic region, but at the same time, we, we haven't seen many of the big sort of, we have seen the barns come from Kentucky, but it's not to the level that we typically see. And, no. and that's been sort of an angle over the past few years where some of those Kentucky shippers have actually fared reasonably well, where it felt like for a long, long time, they just had no hope upstairs, upstate. But I agree with you. I mean, I think just don't be, to your point, don't be terrified of saying, you know what, I kind of like this, this barn, whomever it is, I'm not going to name names, but that may be from Laurel, or, or so, you know, uh, Presque Isle or wherever it is they're shipping in, and you look at it with a little bit of side eye initially, maybe this is the year where you just say, you know what, let's take advantage of it and try to make a bit of a score. Yep, and I think it's going to happen more in the back half of the meet as the condition book opens up and people realize, boy, these are some winnable Belmont-type races. So keep an eye on that in a meet where Orlando Noda is clicking at 36%. Anything can happen uh, here at Saratoga 2020. With that in mind, let's look at the, the, the All-Stakes Pick 5 that's going to end uh, with the Travers, as Matt said, normally the Midsummer Derby where you have all the three-year-olds coming off the Triple Crown meeting one more time before the Classic. And, you know, famously our group yells, you know, summer's over at the end of this race. And now uh, it's a Derby prep, and it's the final big Derby prep, 100 points in the line for the winner. And on paper, Matt Bernier, it's a two-horse race. It's New York's Tis the Law. It's California's Uncle Chuck. And at the top of this uh, field, two very talented three-year-olds, one who's shown it and one who is just developing uh, his abilities right now. And I think that really is what the race boils down to. What do you prefer, the known commodity at this point in Tis the Law or the the potential and the upside of a horse like Uncle Chuck? Uh, Tis the Law deserves to be the favorite. I mean, we need to make that abundantly clear. I don't know necessarily that he has any sort of a giant edge on a horse like Uncle Chuck because Uncle Chuck, what he's done thus far, has been really visually impressive. But at the same time, you look at Tis the Law and you go, he's done nothing wrong throughout his career. I mean, if you really wanted to nitpick, perhaps he hasn't progressed from a speed figure standpoint here as a three-year-old, but all he's done is gone out and win by open length in all three of his starts. No one's ever really been all that close to him. I think he's facing a different level of competition here in this race, though, and I do wonder, you know, not that he's had a taxing campaign, but, I mean, this is going to be his fourth start, which I know sounds, you know, it's asinine to consider that a lot at this point. But <laughs> the goal for these connections has been this race. So you assume he's ready to go. But they also have the Derby in mind four or five weeks from now. I'm sure the potential of the Preakness is at least out there. But then it's a quick turnaround to the Breeders' Cup Classic. So with a horse like Tis the Law, I just think it's interesting. He's, he has the seasoning. He has a little bit more experience than a horse like Uncle Chuck does. But 
boy, not just because Baffert only shifts to Saratoga when he means business, but this, this horse looks – when Mike Smith, after the career debut, said he reminded him of Arrogate, I said, that seems a little aggressive. And then you go and you watch the Low Sal Derby, and he finishes his final eighth of a mile in 11.85 for folks that may not be deep involved in the horse racing game. That's the sort of final eighth of a mile that a turf horse would run. And typically they sprint home and they run fastest at the end. Uncle Chuck was really, it seemed like he was just getting warmed up. And the longer, the better for him. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm showing my hand a little bit. I like Uncle Chuck. I think he's going to win this race on Saturday. Yeah, you know, of the two, the other question I have, Matt, you know, tell me if I'm overthinking it. But I know they're, they're pointing to this Sacatoga Stables, which owns uh, the uh, Tis the Law. They own Funnyside. He had to scratch out the week of the Travers when he was going to run up here. They're desperate to win it. Tag wants to win it again. The group wants to win it. They got a huge party. There's hundreds of people will be at that Diamond Club at the Embassy Suites downtown in Saratoga on Saturday. But when it gets to hit the stretch, like he does, he's not. I don't think they're going to want to empty him five weeks out. I really don't. Barkley Tag doesn't have to. He's got the points. Uncle Chuck, Matt, he I think he has what twenty points or something. He's got to win this race to qualify for the Derby. He might be Baffert's best Derby horse, and so I feel like. Am I overthinking the intent here that Uncle Chuck has to win and Tis the Law can run well but doesn't have to be gutted in the final you know, eighth of a mile to win this race? No, I, I think that's a very fair way to approach a race like this. I think it's a situation where I think all the connections involved, you know, you'd like to win the race, but I think you are always, especially in a spot like this where I, would, I, I don't know the exact numbers as far as the points offhand. I believe third gets 40 points maybe. Um, you know, I mean, technically, that's probably going to put you pretty darn close to getting into the starting gate for the Kentucky Derby. And we've talked about it, or it's been brought up anyway, that maybe we don't even have 20 horses for the Derby this year. So I think everyone, you at least have to have a little bit of a, an eye on what's still to come. And I think with a horse like Uncle Chuck, I think it's a combination of you need to really see where he stacks up against the best of the best. And look, there's nobody better as far as the three-year-olds are concerned as opposed to the law. But also, you know, you need to find out if he can ship out of California. That's not something you need to worry about with a horse like Tis the Law, who has won in multiple states at this point. He's won at multiple distances, multiple configurations, one term versus two. Tis the Law, you know what you already have in your back pocket. You know you've got the best three-year-old to date anyway at this point, not only from a speed figure standpoint, but from an accomplishment standpoint. Uncle Chuck is the one of all of these horses, and I think this is a pretty good group. He's the one of all these horses that, it, it still feels like we haven't scratched the surface, really, of what he's capable of. I think he's still green. I think there's still a lot of maturation that can happen over the next few races, and it'll be fascinating to see. Like I said, I, I brought up Arrowgate's name earlier, and it sounds crazy to even utter his name with this horse. But, boy, the way that he moves, and, and Baffert has even brought up Arrowgate as sort of a, an analogy. So I'll be very interested to see what we get Saturday afternoon. I, I Like I said, I'm going with Uncle Chuck over Tis the Law. And it has nothing to do with disliking Tis the Law. I think he's the most likable three-year-old we've had in a while, not just because of the connections. But Manny Franco, it's a great story. This is really his first opportunity to shine. And it, he's just a super likable horse, and he's very versatile. But from a gambling standpoint, I want to go with Uncle Chuck. And Uncle Chuck, to me, is the most exciting prospect of this race because it feels like the sky's the limit at this point. Yeah, there's higher upside with him. And if I had to pick one of the two on top, I would I would side with Uncle Chuck. I will use both uh, Uncle Chuck and Tis the Law, obviously, in the pick five as A's. How about underneath, Matt? Any other interesting horses you like to be part of exact as trifectas at prices here uh, in the Travers on Saturday? 
I can't promise that they're going to be prices, but I do think the horses coming out of that Peter Pan, both Country Grammar and Cara Caro, I think they're both talented horses. Um, I don't know that they're good enough to run with a tis the law or if Uncle Chuck takes that step forward that we think he's possibly capable of. I don't know that either of those two are fast enough to run with the big boys, but I mean, I, I could see this being a situation. I, I was talking to somebody the other day. You know, maybe this is a prime super effective sort of opportunity where you look at it and you say, it's Uncle Chuck, tis the law. Use both of them in first and second. And then choose between either Country Grammar or Caro Caro. I would probably lean Caro Caro simply because he was wide in his first start in, what, about seven months. Yep. And Country Grammar was able to scrape the paint throughout after a nice pocket trip. Maybe I would key Caro Caro third and fourth and then use all in the other spots, maybe trying to catch a horse like South Bend, who I, I feel like he's more of, I don't want to say a plotter, but he's one that I could see picking up some pieces underneath. So that's probably how I would play the race. I'm going to fade Max player just because I feel like a lot of people are trying to make the argument for him. I'm not suggesting he can't run well, but um, he just, you know, at six, eight, ten to one, I just don't know that he's that intriguing to me underneath. But that's probably how I would approach this race. Yeah, it's funny. The horse I want to fade is, is Country Grammar, who you know certainly there was a lot of uh, you know, hype about him, even going back to Florida uh, when he ran in the, the, the Fountain of Youth against Ette Indian and Candy Tycoon and didn't run that well, but came back and ran okay against Tapa to win and his bust-out allowance win. But then I was watching the Peter Pan again last night. He got such a great trip on a day where – it was opening day at Saratoga. The rail felt like it was a pretty good rail to start the meet for that weekend. And he just got through, and he was still life and death to hold off a horse, Matt. You said had been off since February, and a horse in Caracaro, uh, I'm, uh, had been off since January, I'm sorry. That horse, Caracaro, got bet down to 3-1 to one with a, a, a no-name trainer to most New York players against Mystic Guide and Country Grammar. Like, they knew that horse was ready. You get Javier Castellano, who's won a million Travers, that, to me, is the, the other really interesting horse in this race. And, look, Country Grammar can, can be a part of it, I'm sure. But I'm going to do what you said. I, I'm going to use the horses you mentioned, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swap out Max Player, and I'm going to not use Country Grammar in those top three slots. And I'm going to use Cara Caro and Max Player underneath. There's, there's some talent there that you talked about. He was 40, plus 49 on Trackus, which I know my, for a mile and an eighth, you don't go crazy about those numbers. But there's just raw talent there. And you mentioned the talent of uh, you know, Uncle Chuck, which is evident – Kara Caro's got some talent, too. They got Derby Dreams. So I'm going to use him. You're going to use uh, him as well. You're going to throw out to Max Player. I'm going to toss out Country Grammar and try to get uh, through here in this late pick five. Uh, the Travers, no longer the Midsummer Derby. It's a prep for the actual Kentucky Derby in the first Saturday in September. Uh, let's work backwards, Maddie. Let's go to the 10th race. It's the seven furlong test where, again, it feels like on paper uh, there are two standouts. You have Gamin, who was just an absolute freak last time out for Bob Baffert. Venetian Harbor on the outside. Do you want to make a case for somebody outside the top two in the test? No, for me, it's a two-speed number. I think they are going to be the, the predominant speed horses in here. I understand maybe an argument that Wicked Whisper can get involved early. I just, naturally, I don't know that she's as fast as the five or the six. I think Gamin and Venetian Harbor, they go. Uh, I do love the turn back in distance for Venetian Harbor. This feels yeah. like what she's wanted all along. I don't think she's been defeated by necessarily more talented horses in either of the past two starts. I just think the distance has got to her at the very end. You turn her back to this one turn, seven-eighths of a mile, I think it's going to hit her right between the eyes. The problem is, I mean, there's a real scenario where the most talented horse on the card on Saturday is Gamine. Yep. And I don't know if she's going to back up that acorn where she ran a hole in the wind. But, but uh, let's be honest, even if she regresses, what, five lengths, she's still way the horse to beat in here. So to me, if I were trying to play this race by itself, 
It would be five, six, and maybe I would be using a horse like Perfect Alibi to clunk up and get a piece of this thing underneath. But as far as the pick five goes, uh, I would just use Gamine and Venetian Harbor, probably 65-35 Gamine as opposed to Venetian Harbor as far as weighting goes. Yeah, there, there are two ways, and depending on how you want to weight them, uh, Matt's onto something there. We don't have to use them. You, you have plenty of time between now and tomorrow to figure out how you want to weight them uh, in the pick five. It's probably a good idea. The favorites Matt have dominated. I was looking at the historical stats for this race uh, from our buddy Jim Mazur, who has uh, the Saratoga Handicapper. Favorites won 41% of the runnings of this thing. Uh, the top three is won 27 of the 31 runnings. So it's not an upset race. We've had a couple of weird upsetters in the last couple of years, but the favorites win. Uh, I'm going to use both those two. And, you know, Gamin is on, on time form uh, speed figures. It's those two only. You mentioned perfect alibi clunking up. I, I've always had a thing for Mrs. Danvers going back to last year at Saratoga. Uh, kind of a money burner when you look back on it now. Been favored in three or four races, just one for four lifetime. But uh, I, I saw a scenario where that horse might get up. Probably going to be over bet, so might not even be worth playing. But I'm with you. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this race. The two most talented fillies. I'm going to use them both. Maybe people will single Gamine and just try to move on. I think that's... A little risky, given the the speed of Venetian Harbor, so I'll use those two. Uh, so will Matt as we try to get through this late pick five. Uh, race number nine will be the way. It's a mile and a half on the inner turf. Uh, I looked at this race for you know uh, 20 minutes, and I, I can't get by uh, the favorite, which I'll explain. What do you want to do here uh, going a mile and a half on the uh, inner up at Saratoga, Matty? You know, the, the pace may end up being a little bit of an issue for some of these horses because it doesn't seem like there's a ton signed on in here. I ended up going with my sister, Nat, in here for Chad. Jose's got the mount. Uh, she's a half-sister to Sister Charlie. So there's there's class. There's there's pedigree here. And that New York stakes, I really thought she ran quite well when you think about it. There was no pace signed on. And anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that I, I'm crazy about me, Mary, the horse that won that race. Now, when the fractions were, were flashed up and she was out there just loving life, there was no way that anyone was going to run her down. But the fact that my sister Nat rallied from dead last, she actually had to, to kind of, I don't want to say check, but she had to wait a moment at the top of the lane when she was already having a full head of steam for her to continue on with that and finish well. I thought it was at least encouraging. She's not Sister Charlie, but she doesn't need to be Sister Charlie to win this race. I respect Mississippi. Um, you know, again, she's also trained by Graham Motion, who trains Mean Mary as well. I just, off the layoff, I thought maybe you had a chance to get a hold of her while maybe she was vulnerable um, again, not any kind of great shakes as far as price goes, but she's two to one on the line. I went with the four, my sister, Nat. Yeah. And I, I totally understand. And I will use, but I'm going to focus a lot of my play through the favorite, the number one, Mississippi, who won the Glens Falls last year, coming over from, uh, across the pond. And then in the, the next race, the flower bowl just got you know, my sister, Charlie, who you mentioned got first run on her. I didn't think she ran poorly in that race. Still ran a 95, and then really no shot in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf. Graham Motion said this week it was probably too deep for her, probably too much coming over from Europe. They've given her plenty of time off. She's going to love the mile and a half in this race. She's going to sit on the rail like she did last year uh, in that Glens Falls and under Joel Rosario. I think she's going to sit the perfect trip. Because I, I, you mentioned the pace, Matt. I mean, there's just – I don't trust I, – I, I, I know Fool's Gold is supposed to go and win as the defending champ here. I don't trust that horse anymore. I, I think we, we saw the best of her – and so I just I'm not worried about the pace because I feel like the best horses Mississippi, my sister Nat, one of those two, they just they look too good on paper. Where I'm not, I'm not going to worry about the pace going a mile and a half. And the other thing too, and it, it, it's something to keep in mind for handicappers. You know, we always talk about pace makes the race. 
But it's almost counterintuitive if you back it down so much if you're a speed horse, because then you're trying to outkick the horses who have a better kick than you do. So the idea is if you do have a little bit of early foot, whether it's fool's gold, to me, like a perfect example would be a horse like Bo Bell. If you're Manny Franco, just try to open up by three or four and hope that you can outstay everyone and maybe that that gap that you sort of built up is enough to hold off the, the horses that can really kick down the lane. But I agree with you. I mean, I feel like this is, this is a grade three race. I mean, plain and simple. Mississippi is probably slightly better than that, but, you know, we'll find out if she's ready to go off the bench. I, I agree with you. I mean, it's a situation where fool's gold. I've never been a fan. If she wins, I'll tip my cap and say the other Chad got it done. But uh, she's not for me. I, I agree with you. I think it goes through the two favorites. Yep, and Olympic Games, obviously, for the Red Hawk, Christoph Clement probably merits at least some uh, mention here, given she had a win over uh, in France on soft turf. And, and they got rain. They got the crazy rain there a couple days ago, Matt. They got rain last night as well. And I, I thought yesterday, you know, the inner definitely showed some give. I'm not going to be shocked. if they, They'll probably call it firm on Saturday for Travers Day. But I, I've noticed that when there is some water, the inner turf is, is the slower one to dry out. And that can sometimes help closers, even if there's no pace. Do you feel that way? Yeah, and that's, you know, I agree with that because it is. It's just, it's a far more taxing sort of trip for some of these horses to get over. And again, if you're trying to sort of hold that sort of speed and sustain that for a lengthy period of time, you can get a little bit gassed when you really start running. And that's the big thing with turf racing. The races typically pick up the pace as it goes on, as opposed to the dirt racing, which we see they go fastest early and slowest late. Turf typically is the complete opposite. And that's why those horses kicking in at the end they're the ones that typically over some more yielding or heavy ground they're the ones that have a little bit left in the tank uh the eighth race is the five and a half furlong troy stakes it's going to be three a grade three they're going to go five and a half uh on the turf there these turf sprints we're fed a steady diet of these now it seems like up at saratoga it's become a go-to for the racing office uh which stinks for me matt because i suck uh at turf sprints and there's like two of them every day and they knock me out of pick threes and pick fours and pick fives and, and i will tell you um this feels like it would have been a great race like two years ago with this group, like 2018 with Imprimis and Pure Sensation and some of these who just feel like we have seen the best, Jackie Shabazz under his old trainer Jason Service. Uh, I, I, I hate this race. I hope you have a good opinion because uh, right now I'm defaulting some horses I really don't want a part of. I mean, you're preaching to the choir about the turf sprint piece where it's just never been a strong suit of mine, oh. but it's something I think you and I and anyone else in this same camp just need to, we need to get comfortable with because this is going to be more of the norm going forward. Speed on turf. Um, I hate giving out chalk, and we've done that basically for the first three races. This sure one, have. maybe we can go a little outside of the box. I went with the two American Sailor in here. It was 12 to 1. Um, the key for American Sailor is, and I know this may sound kind of counterintuitive because pure sensation, he has speed. His game is to be reasonably close. I'm hopeful that pure sensation and Kendra Carmouche look at a horse like American Sailor and say, we're better than him. We're classier than him. He'll come back to us because if American Sailor can build up a two, two and a half, three length lead rounding the far turn, that's typically when he can get a little bit brave. If he's taken any kind of heat early on, he's basically screwed. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful Gaffalion can break out of there in good order. They just drop the hammer and try to spread Eagle the field. And if Pure Sensation decides to sort of, I don't want to say take back, but be content sitting off of what they seem, what they think is a seemingly overmatched horse, maybe American Sailor can get a little bit brave. It's worth noting there's only been one horse to exit that Wolf Hill from Monmouth. That was on Haskell Day. It was the eighth place finisher and came back and won next out with an 89 buyer. So 
the form of the race, I suppose you can argue, is actually holding up at this point. And um, I've had a number of people, but specifically Jonathan Kinchin, point out these turf sprints, you would much rather be on the lead than trying to rally from 100 out of it. So, again, not a strong opinion because this is not a specialty of mine, but I'm going to give American Sailor a look at 12 to 1. Yeah, and I thought the two speeds on paper were the two I wanted. You mentioned American Sailor, and, and my default, which ends up being you know, the now nine-year-old pure sensation who does not want that Belmont trip. He wants to be uh, running five, five and a half furlongs. He's won two races up here. Uh, Christoph Clement gives him the break, and it, you know, the way his barn is going right now, Kendrick Carmuch back on, who has fit this horse. He's won some stake race in the past with Carmuch aboard, including the turf, uh, the turf monster there at Parks. And I just figured it was those two. I didn't think it was a fast race on paper. Uh, people are going to talk themselves into chewing gum because Joel Rosario is a great turf uh, sprint jockey. Uh, I think he's going to be too far out of it. Uh, they're going to talk themselves to a price and pulsate closing late. But I, I wanted the speeds, and I end up on those two. Matt, what what are you going to do with Shecky Shabazz here? People are going to look at Shecky Shabazz. They're going to see Christoph Clement, who's been red hot. They'll see the back class, but that was under Jason's service, and obviously he's under federal indictment right now for uh, you know doing a lot of stuff with his horses that uh, is not legal. Will Shecky Shabazz be on your tickets at all on Saturday? Yeah, he will, simply because I think it is worth noting, and this is the big thing for me with with the horses exiting a barn like services or like Jorge Navarro's. When the horses come back to the races, is there a stark contrast in the performance? And from a numbers standpoint, given he was off of a little bit of a layoff, it's not like the Wolf Hill was a drastically different performance from Shecky Shabazz as opposed to when he was in services barn. We've seen other horses who... Specifically, the horses that realistically, they're probably 10 claimers. The, these other folks had got a hold of them. Who knows what was going on? And they improved by 10 lengths. I don't think that was ever really the case with Shecky Shabazz. I think part of it was he was probably on the wrong surface all along. He was fine on synthetic, but he's a much better turf horse. And the fact that the numbers don't suggest that there was a giant, giant difference between what he did in services barn and that return effort for Clement, I think he's probably going to take a step forward here. He's the horse that has the sort of tactical ability where he probably sits in behind the two speeds and he may be able to get the first jump on any of those deep closers. I think he does fit in here, and he's not one of the horses that I'm terribly concerned about coming from one of those other barns. Be more cognizant of the horses who it looked like they were getting ready for retirement and then all of a sudden turned into stakes (laughs) winners. Those are the ones where you sit there and go, this doesn't look right. Uh, this whole pick five starts with race number seven. The reason why I think it's playable, the grade one ballerine, is because the, the morning line second choice. I think the horse that may go off favorite, Serengeti Empress, Matt, I want no part of. She'll be on none of my tickets. She's five to two on the morning line for Tom Amos. Tons of back class, tons of speed. Uh, gets Luis Saez. Uh, everything says go. The workout, you see a bullet versus 74. We'll see what the report says when it comes out later on today. But this horse, I think, has no shot. Against the other speed in here, I'm tossing completely. And this is why, to me, it's playable because if the favor of the second choice is dead in the first leg, uh, it opens it up. Uh, I have some other ideas here. What do you want to do in the grade one ballerina, the first of this five-stakes pick five? Yeah, I, look, I agree with you. I mean, I think the other pace in this race, Serengeti Empress at this point in her career, I, I would say it's pretty straightforward that she's a need-to-lead type. Yep. And I don't think she's run terribly in each of these past two starts. They just went really fast, and the Apple Blossom was a very – odd sort of tactic when you know you need to go but with the other speed in here i think that's it's just going to take enough of the starch out of her or maybe she's a little bit compromised down the lane i don't trust bellafina as far as i can throw her uh, you know when when she's at her best there's no denying that she's as good as these other girls but outside of southern california specifically santa anita she's just a different horse and i i don't i just don't want her at a short number 
to me, this is the spot where if she can still do it, this is this is the spot for come dancing. And yep. I've been a fan of hers. I think Carlos Martin is still an underrated trainer when all is said and done. I know he's not a, a high win rate kind of trainer, but I think he does good work with the stock that he has. And the vagrancy, when you first look at it, you know, eh, okay, well, she's still not back to what she was, you know, at her best last year as a five-year-old. But you take a look at the race. It was running an absolute deluge. You could hardly see the racetrack out there. And I thought she tried it. I thought it was a fine enough effort. I feel like off of a bit of a layoff, she's ready to go here, second start off the bench. She gets back to Saratoga and a distance that I think she is best suited for at seven-eighths. And, uh, you know, maybe she's not ever going to get back to the, the giant numbers that she earned, you know, at the beginning of 2019, whether it was the distaff at Aqueduct or that ruffian out of Belmont. But she's still a darn good racehorse. And if she gets the setup I'm envisioning with the speeds lining up, maybe she can keep Bellafina hemmed in there in the box. I think Javier's going to be in the clear three wide and take your chances around in the far turn. To me, I'm going to be singling her in this pick. Um, and, and if I want to use any sort of a backup, uh, maybe it'll be some, one of the other girls. But she would be a lone A for me, the number seven come dancing. I love the take, and I'll also point out, you, you mentioned the, the great race last year uh, in April at Aqueduct. I heard Andy, Surly, Andy Serling of Naira mention this. I heard Chad, Red Chad Brown mention this the other day as part of the Travers draw. These guys all feel like this, this Saratoga track, Matt, is playing a lot like Aqueduct. And I, I did go back and look. There's a lot of horses that ran well at Aqueduct that are running well up here. I don't know what that means, but uh, her best races, you may say it stands out what she did in the distaff last year. Uh, with a 114 buyer figure in that grade three distaff. Uh, she's one of my two A's. I got to be, uh, I am shocked. I thought for sure, as I'm looking through this race, Latruska, the number five horse, it just felt like a Matt Bernier horse. Could be any kind. You draw a line through that turf race at, uh, at, at Gulfstream last December, and the dirt races have been good. They've been fast. Uh, I, I To me, this is the other horse I want to use because I know I don't want uh, Bellafina. I know I don't want uh, Serengeti Empress. And this horse, just on, on on numbers, fits right in here. The last out uh, race, the, the one that uh, she beat, came back and ran a 90-something in the Summer Colony a couple days ago at Saratoga. Nola Trusca for Matt Bernier? That's a shock. That's a shock. The, the, well, i got to be honest. And I, I, typically, you're right. From a profile standpoint, this is the kind of horse I'm interested in. Not really. We don't know. I mean, she could be exposed at this level, or she could be better than these girls. The problem I had was the running style. I think she's going to be involved in this thing from jump. And if I don't like Serengeti Empress for that reason, if I think a horse like Cookie Dough is going to be involved early on, I can't imagine Victim of Love being too far off the pace. Then you add in Latruska to the mix. That's kind of why I was looking for those horses that will probably be in that sort of second flight. And I, I, I don't want to say by default, but if I don't trust Bellafina, Come Dancing was the one that just kind of stuck out to me. Pink Sands, I, look, if you think this thing completely falls apart, maybe she can get a piece of it or maybe she can get all of it. I just... I don't think she's fast enough, if I'm being honest. That's why I went with Come Dancing. And I'm not going to argue with anybody that looks at Latruska and says, numbers-wise, she's right there. Uh, she's in great form right now. Like you say, she defeated Nona Madeline, who came back and won a stake earlier this week. For me, it was just more a matter of the potential sort of race flow and the race shape. I just think, boy, she's going to have to do a lot of running. If she puts away Serengeti and then she's got to deal with the Bellafinas and the Come Dancing of the world, it's a lot to ask. Well, we're going to try to start it by beating the, the, the favorite or second choice, and it sounds like we're trying to beat both the favorite and the second choice uh, in the uh, Grade 1 Ballerina. It's race number 7, 342 Eastern Time tomorrow from Saratoga. TV coverage all day. Uh, Bernie, you're not part of that coverage, but next week, NBC in the Alabama up there? 
Next week, NBC, Alabama, presuming my uh, uh, COVID test comes back clean, which I don't, I would imagine it will. I have no reason to believe <laughs> otherwise. Um, and, but as far as Travers goes, I'll be on ABR, uh, America's Best Racing. You can find Excellent. that online. Uh, there'll be three or four of us, and I'm not going to name all the names because I don't know all of them, but uh, we'll be riffing a little bit for, for a few races because we'll be on at 5, and obviously the Travers is scheduled to go off about 6.15. And go check out RacingPicks.com. Matt puts picks up there. It's free to sign up, and there's great deals on there uh, for opportunities for those who, for those folks betting online, uh, RacingPicks.com. And I, I got to get you out as a golf junkie that you are. We're heading into uh, the weekend at the first major of the year, the PGA Championship. You're tweeting about it every five seconds. Who did you pick uh, to win this weekend? I actually, and, and look, I don't know if this is going to put the kibosh on or not. I, I picked Jason Day at the beginning of the week because oh, he's, he's in done. great. He he's was in, done. He's in, he's done. Listen, <laughs> he was in great form, and, you know, I mean, he's trying to get the three consecutive top tens. This track sets up very similarly to some other tracks that he's had some success at. The problem is he has as bad a back as Tiger Woods, if not worse, and I'm terrified that one of these mornings he's going to wake up and sneeze the wrong way. And he's going to have to withdraw. <laughs> I have no idea what we're going to get here this afternoon, but he, he looked darn good yesterday. He's just been very, very consistent. He's a guy who, when I feel like everyone's forgotten about him because he's been injured for the past two or three years. But when he's at his best, he's, he's a legitimate player. So I got him at 40 to 1. Knock on wood, he can continue on. Oh, I should. I gotta stop laughing. For, uh, that is, uh, that is an <laughs> excellent number, 40 to 1. Now I'm, I'm re rooting for him. This weekend, it's good crossed. to have the golf Fingers back. Crossed. I I love the West Coast golf. We get the horse racing, uh, we get the golf. You'll have Jason Day in the mix. We'll see if Bryson DeChambeau uh, breaks any more uh, woods over the weekend. We'll see what Brooks does. It should be fun. Uh, Matt underscore Bernier for all your golf and racing takes. Matt, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you uh, prior to a September Derby here in a couple weeks. Thank you, my friend. You got it, Mike. And we thank Matt Bernier for joining us here on the Winners Club podcast, presented by our friends at DraftKings, the leaders. In one day fantasy sports, I will uh, put up on uh, Twitter and or Instagram kind of like a top one-two for Matt and I so you can go through and uh, make your bets, include some caveman picks, maybe throw a caveman pick together with uh, Matt and myself. Probably cost you like 16 bucks. See how you do in there in the late pick five. Uh, he's on Uncle Chuck and the Travers. I'm on Uncle Chuck and the Travers. Kara Carroll, the number seven horse in the Travers, a price horse uh, I want to use. Twitter and Instagram all weekend long. Mutt, W-E-E-I for both. Uh, tweet me your thoughts on the races, where you're watching, what you're doing for Travers Day, and just a unique uh, year in 2020, a crazy year for sports, and that includes horse racing, includes the Travers, normally the Midsummer Derby, uh, and now ends up being a prep race for this year's Kentucky Derby. Uh, no matter where you're watching, wager this weekend, bet with your head's not over. We thank you for listening. We'll be back for sure. I know this for sure. Uh, about five weeks from now, prior to Kentucky Derby 2020 in September. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. If you can, leave a nice five-star review for Chris Scheim and John Anderson over on iTunes or here on the website as well. It's Travers Weekend. Good luck. Get your bets home. We'll talk to you prior to the Derby, September 2020. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center 
anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.